Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Grok Science Show. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Timothy Gay, professor of physics at the University of Nebraska. Welcome, Dr. Gay. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Now, I am really excited for today's show because you're here to talk about physics and football. You have a book out on the topic, and you've been featured on Jumbotrons giving physics lessons. Yes, yeah, that's that's part of my earlier life. I yeah, I did that from uh, 1999 uh, to 2004 when when the Nebraska Cornhuskers were actually a good football team, uh, uh, and and then that sort of metastasized into uh, uh, into some work for the NFL and the NFL Films organization. Uh, where I did substantially similar work, except I got instead of one lousy minute and a half, they gave me a whole five minutes with NFL players. So it was a lot more uh, exciting. But it was it was it was all good. And then the book just sort of naturally evolved from from those pieces that uh, that uh, I did on the jumbotrons. Great. Um, so we have a lot to talk about here. Um, but I think I'd like to start by having you highlight one or two plays or um, or moments in football history that that you really feel showcase some fundamental physics concepts. So yeah, boy, that's a hard one. Um, one one of course, I mean everything that you see on on the football field, uh, uh, even when the Maroons are playing Wheaton College, you know, it, it's Newton's it's Newton's laws in action. The laws of classical physics uh, that we've known about really since Newton invented them in, in uh, 1670, 1680, um, and and so so everything you see obeys classical physics. And and you know a cl- a, a really good example of that would be when uh, the Bears were in the Super Bowl in 1985, and and uh, uh, got Refrigerator Perry, their their uh, uh, one of their linemen, uh, to be a running back, and they handed off to him, and he took it in for a uh, you know a, a touchdown, and none of the none of the New England players could stop him because he had so much momentum. So this is a classic example of Newton's first law, which says that mass wants to do what it was doing before, and what and what the refrigerator wanted to do. Was to go in a straight line at constant speed, and and you know the Patriots had no clue how to stop that. So physics rules. Um, and, you know another another uh, example uh, would be um, uh, probably the immaculate reception. It's mm-hmm. the it's the it's the first play I I opened my 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 book with, uh, and there. Um, uh, it turns out that they showed later on, uh, and I didn't have anything to do with this analysis, although I do report it in the book, uh, that in fact the referees got the call right, uh, and and the ball had to have bounced off uh, the uh, uh, Frenchy Fuqua, uh, who was the who was the running back at the time that was supposed to receive the ball. Uh, he wasn't a running back; he was a receiver. But but uh, uh, it. Because uh, of conservation of momentum, uh, the ball had been thrown uh, at about um, 40 feet per second and bounced off him in a way it was clear meant that 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 he had to have touched the ball first, so that um, 
in fact, the call had been correct, and, and the Steelers really did win the game. So it's, it's, it's a, a beautiful example of how actual analysis, you know, offline using the, ba- the basic principles of physics can, can validate or invalidate uh, a referee's decision. So, so, so maybe we could go through some of the positions and talk about um, what some of the physics-based tricks um, players can take advantage of or, or how they're coached um, to leverage some physics concepts. Sure. I, I mean, this is, you know, this gets down to, I, I get asked a lot, you know, questions like, uh, well, you know, when, when, when New England and Seattle were, were uh, going to play uh, 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 the Super Bowl that we've just gotten, gotten through, uh, you know, I, I got a lot of calls saying, uh, you know, what does physics predict about, about who's going to win? <laughs> And, and 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 so let me just start out with this caveat. I mean, physics doesn't tell you a lot about who's going to win the game. I mean, uh, talent talent is what determines who 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 wins a game. What I can guarantee you is that that uh, no player playing the game is going to violate the laws of physics. Uh, but 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 basically, whether you win or not comes down to talent. It comes down to heart. Comes down to the will to win. Um, uh, and, 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 and physics just gives us a kind of a, uh, a, a nice view about what's possible and what's impossible. So having said that, uh, you, you know, I think, I think, um, the, the let's start with the quarterback. Yeah. Uh, the, the quarterback has to have, uh, an amazing number of psychological skills, not, not worrying about getting, killed by a, a defensive lineman. Uh, but again, that's psychology. That's not physics. What, what the quarterback really has to know in terms of physics is how to throw a tight spiral pass uh, and throw it at the right time. And, and, and so physics talks a lot about what's necessary for a pass to be accurate um, and, and uh, how to get it uh, to the player that you want, you, you, know, you want to get it to. And while the quarterbacks that I know probably don't know much physics, they, they, they do know one thing, and that's how to throw a football because they've practiced it over and over again. But, but the actual motions that they have to accomplish, namely to get the ball spinning at about 600 uh, RPM, to get the ball um, pointed uh, uh, in the direction uh, uh, that is uh, along a parabolic arc and have the spin vector uh, of the football line up tangent to that arc uh, is, again, something that they have to do, although they wouldn't put it in those words. They've just, they, they would just say, I've got to throw a, a tight spiral pass. Uh, so, so really yeah. quick, let, let's talk about spiraling for a minute because um... – and and how why it's so important for accuracy because I I think that's not quite intuitive. Yeah, uh, uh, the, the 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 simplest statement is that you want the ball to be spinning along an axis which is parallel to the direction of motion, simply so uh, that the, to to minimize air drag. Uh, if the ball is tumbling end over end then uh, the ball won't go as fast and it won't go as far because of the air drag uh, that limits the motion of the ball. So, so um, if you get a ball spinning in one direction, it tends to want to stay pointed in that direction because of conservation uh, of, of, of angular momentum, uh, although there are then subtleties introduced by the flow of the air 
uh, over the ball. Uh, so, so, but the, the bottom line is a tight spiral pass, which is very difficult to set up accurately so that it continues to spiral and not start to wobble. Uh, just guarantees that the ball is always presenting to the oncoming air the minimum cross section to reduce reduce the air drag and therefore go farther uh, faster. So, so having said all that, it, it's not true that the ball continues to stay oriented in one direction. It actually rolls over the axis of the ball rolls with the parabolic trajectory that the ball is on, uh, and that has to do with subtleties of the air drag, the spin drag associated with the rotating ball. Um, it's complicated, but, 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 but essentially uh, the fact that the, the football is a prolate spheroid instead of a sphere makes that kind of motion possible. Yeah, um, if you wouldn't mind, let, let's talk about the the football for a minute. The shape, why is it shaped that way? How how did it get to be shaped that way? Yeah, that so so that's a that's a good question for historians. Really, uh, it, the 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 original um, uh, the, the the first game of football, uh, which is often mistakenly uh, thought to be the 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 first Princeton Rutgers game. Uh, not, not true. That was a soccer game. The first real game of football was the second Yale Harvard game in 18, I believe it was 1879. Um, and, uh, that, that ball, while this was really the first recognizable game of football, uh, the ball itself was essentially a rugby ball. So the rugby ball is easier to hold than a soccer ball. Uh, and it's, it's prolate. Uh, for that for that reason, you can just tuck it under your arm better than you can a soccer ball. So so that's how it got started with that prolate shape. And then uh, as the forward pass became more popular after the turn of the century, uh, the ball became smaller, so it was easy to get your full hand around the circumference of the or much of the circumference of the ball. Um, and that makes it easier to let it roll off your fingers to impart that spin that rotational motion along an axis uh along the axis of the ball so so the ball slowly decreased in size and, and mass to one that made it very easy to chuck to, to throw with it with a spiral uh and it reached its present form uh again i've been estimating roughly 1920 1925 uh when when chicago had a great football team <laughs> Uh, I know everybody's tired of talking about Deflate Gate, but I would. Did have you done your own back of the envelope calculations? Can can physics save Brady and Belichick from um, Deflate Gate? So yeah, that's a that's a very interesting question. So so first of all, um, a a huge uh, full disclosure caveat, and and that is that that Bill Belichick wrote the foreword for my book. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Bill, Bill and I went to prep school together, uh, so so there is certainly the appearance of impropriety. While although there is no Im- actual impropriety, um, so so that that's a very interesting problem. So so wh- here's what we know. What what we know is that the football by NFL regulations can be blown up between 12.5 and 13.5 pounds per square inch of pressure above 
atmospheric pressure. So this is something that a lot of reporters and, and, and indeed some astrophysicists uh, failed to understand during the controversy, and that is that if I have a football which is completely deflated, I mean, it's lying there on the table flat as a pancake, it still has 14.7 pounds per square inch of atmospheric pressure inside pushing out. But there's no additional pressure to actually cause the ball to spring up into its normal shape. So I have to add pressure to the atmospheric pressure to the tune of about 13 PSI, pounds per square inch, to get that to happen. So when we're talking about pressure, like in the NFL regs, we're really talking about pressure above and beyond atmospheric pressure. So with all that preamble, we have a range that's allowed by the NFL regulations between 12.5 and 13.5 PSI gauge, that is to say above atmospheric pressure. So it is well known that Tom Brady, the Patriots quarterback, uh, uh, likes his footballs at the lower limit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you uh, then say, take the ball from the locker room where it's been filled out to the uh, football field and the average temperature that during that game was about 49 degrees, you get that it's going to lose about 1.3 pounds of pressure uh, just due to the dictates of the ideal gas law. So that solves the problem for the Patriots. What it doesn't answer is why weren't the Colts footballs also low? And one possible answer, uh, which eliminates uh, the cheating scenario is that they, you know, Luck decided he wanted his footballs blown up to 13.5. Mm-hmm. And so that 13.5 then becomes 12.5 or even a little bit below, but, but certainly not grossly below the lower legal minimum. Uh, I'm sorry, I probably told you more than, I wa- than you wanted to know about Deflategate, but it's what I've been bombarded with constantly for the last month. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I wanted to know. I wanted to know if you had tried the calculations and and what what came out of that. So it sounds like it's physically plausible and yeah, it was it was an interesting exercise in in sociology and how the press <laughs> goes about d- developing scientific consensus and that kind of thing. Because the first two or three people that they asked got it wrong, um, <laughs> and and uh, uh, so so I had talked to a few people and said, no, actually, you could explain this with one, 1.3 pounds. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's not that the people that they asked are dumb or incompetent. It's just that most people that aren't in a lab a fair amount that worry about pressurized gases know about that kind of stuff. So it, 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 was, it, was just, it, it just happened to, uh, you, you, you want to ask an experimentalist, not a theoretical astrophysicist in this, in this regard. So, so, um, uh, but, but, you know, it was interesting how, well, so then finally they, they got somebody to check it, you know, these, these, uh, grad students at, at Carnegie Mellon and, and, you know, they got exactly what you'd calculate, which is about 1.3 pounds. And, and so I, I think there's no scientific controversy anymore. The issue is, you know, did the Patriots cheat or didn't they? And, and I have no opinion on that, but, uh, I bet they didn't. Um, now do you, uh, 
uh, let me ask you if you think that um, quarterbacks or kickers or punters, uh, do they really consider things like temperature and weather um, and altitude maybe on on the way they're throwing the ball or the launch angle? Yeah, no, no, that's that's a great question. And, and, and the answer is, um, in, in, in a metadata sort of way, yes, they do. Because what do these guys do? They practice all the time. Uh, they practice in all sorts of weather. And so they have learned physics, if you will, uh, by the seat of their pants. Uh, um, and, and, and so uh, what, what I would say is that, that, that physics in this instance has a nice um, ability to explain why what the coaches tell you is true. Uh, I mean, that's how I got interested in this in the first place. When I played football in college, uh, my coaches and uh, yelled at me, and they let me tell you, they yelled at me a lot uh, about do it this way, do it this way, you know. And and I always wondered, you know, what is the physics behind? Because I was a physics major at the time, um, uh, you know, what is the physics behind uh, why they're telling me to 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 tackle this way, to to block this way? Uh, and of course, the coaches, uh, uh, you know, they were nice guys, but they didn't know a lot of physics. Uh, but but they did know what worked, and 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 so really the the whole point of my book uh, is largely uh, uh, to explain why what coaches tell you is correct from a physics point of view. So let's let's go over that for um, another position. What what do you think is the most um, interesting here? Running back. Uh, uh, yeah. So 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 I well. You know, let's let's talk about running backs, and then let's talk about about uh, linemen. Um, so, so what running backs have to do is be agile. Is they have to they have to be the masters of Newton's second law. Newton's second law says that force is equal to mass times acceleration. What they have to do is give their bodies huge amounts of acceleration, so that they can move in unpredictable ways. The whole point is to make a guy miss. How do you make a guy miss? You plant your foot uh, and you dodge left or right. I mean, it's really nothing more complicated than that. Walter Payton was one of the greatest of all time at, at, at doing this. You know, he'd be running along and, you know, with one vector, one direction, and then all of a sudden he's running in another direction. And, and what, how does that happen? Uh, exactly in the way you'd expect. He plants his foot. The force through his ankle uh, at this point is about 800 pounds. Uh, so, so you know, this is how ankles get blown out. Um, and and he then has given himself an acceleration, roughly half that of gravity. So it's it's a very rapid change of direction, uh, and that's how you make a guy miss. So again, um, it, it, if you're lucky and and you're a running back on those rare occasions like Refrigerator Perry. You can also have mass in your favor. In other words, you know, Refrigerator Perry didn't have to do a lot of dodging. He just kept moving in a straight line with the New England players bouncing off of him. So, so um, you, you can take both the first law and second law and use them to your advantage. Now, with, with linemen, um, the, the real issue there is, again, the second law, but, but it's, it's mostly about uh, muscle and mass. 
So uh, I like to, to tell people uh, I was uh, on, the, on the football team I played on in college. I was both the quickest and the slowest guy on the team. He said, well, what do you mean the quickest and the slowest? How can that be? And the answer is I had a lot of muscle. I, was, I worked out and I had big muscles. Uh, and I was able to accelerate very rapidly. And, and since I weighed pert near 300 pounds, I could hit guys pretty hard because I had accelerated rapidly and I could hit them. I also had next to zero athletic ability. So once I got moving, I couldn't run very fast because I was not an athletically gifted runner. So I think it was my coach that coined that phrase. He's, boy, he's both the quickest guy on the team because I could, I could hit. I had good reaction time. Uh, I could fire off the ball quickly. But, but once I got going, I couldn't run fast. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about um, stats like that and how you feel about them. But first, I want to tell you that um, I'm a Lions fan. And so, uh-huh. so th- let's use Let's use Barry Sanders instead of Walter Payton. Here. Yes, and, and actually, I use Barry Sanders in my book, uh, so so that that should please you. It, it does. Um, so, um, so we're in at the beginning of um, combine here, and so maybe it's appropriate timing for us to talk about um, uh, what kinds of things coaches and scouts should should be looking at when they're recruiting players for um for certain positions you you were just talking about speed and quickness um yeah thing i'd say is iq you want (laughs) you you want smart people uh uh there there's a a good reason why at the combine you got to take an iq test uh if you if you fail the iq test no matter how quick you are you're not going to make it into the nfl so so brains is important um of course, the reason for that is that I think having a high IQ helps your athletic intelligence. Athletic intelligence is a kind of a, a mysterious mixture of both IQ and body, you know, just knowing how to move. Uh, um, so that that's one thing. And, and, of course, just the physical attributes that they test for, a vertical jump, uh, um not sure they test anymore how much you can bench press. Maybe they do, yeah, but I think they uh, do, yeah. uh, cer- certainly quickness. I mean, how quick can you, can you, uh, run the 40? The 40 is almost more a test of quickness than it is of speed because it, it's really measuring how quickly you can accelerate and top end speed is not as important as acceleration. Now, if you talk about a 200 meter dash, then, then that's all about agility and running or, you know, basic athletic, uh, running talent um yeah uh, i'm i'm interested in the, in um in uh, metrics like the 40 um because they're controversial i mean are these kind of justified by physics like what what is the most if, if you were to just if you were to use physics to 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 um decide what tests to to run on these guys you know, I, I, w- I would say I would say uh, that's that's a very good question, and I've never really thought carefully about that. Um, I, I would say absolutely for linemen, uh, you want the forty, and I would say for running backs, you probably want the forty, possibly with sl- uh, slalom uh, 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 
the slalom feature. In other words, you want to make guys run back and forth. That would be especially crucial uh, for running backs. But, you know, linemen have to be agile that way, too. They have to get off the ball fast. They have to maybe sprint three or four yards, not sprint really, but, but accelerate over three or four yards uh, to get to a position where they've got to block a guy or something. Uh, so I, I think, uh, you know, the 100 is kind of irrelevant for, for linemen and running backs because only on happy, rare, happy occasions does, does a running back have to run 100 yards. Uh, but but for a corner, for for a wideout, then you know the hundred the hundred is probably a better um, uh, indicator uh, of of uh, talent because uh, there you pretty much just got to have flat out speed. Uh, that's actually more true in the two hundred yard. But I don't think they make them do two hundred yard dashes in in in, uh, in the combine. Uh, I'd like I should actually it would be interesting for me to see a list of what they do require. I've never looked into that carefully. But 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 clearly, uh, uh, you know, certain weightlifting skills, you know, just brute strength is is crucial for for linemen uh, and helps helps with running backs um, in terms of ability to tackle. The thing, you know, the thing I I would always look for is do, have they internalized. In in the in the in the in the players like uh, uh, fullbacks or or linemen, uh, you always want to look at their tackling ability. Can they can they can they tackle? Also for corners, I mean you know tackling is is one of the most crucial skills for a cornerback. In addition to just explosive speed, uh, do they understand the importance of getting the feet lined up with a center of mass and hitting through the guy's center of mass that you're tackling? Wrapping them up, uh, it, it just seems more and more now like the the, the, the basics of blocking and tackling uh, are going by the wayside in a lot of programs. You, you, you see an awful lot of you know if you watch any game on 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 television today, there's an awful lot of grabbing and you know arm tackling instead of good fundamental blocking. And and I, I wish coaches taught it more effectively uh, like they used to. So, um, so what would you say uh, should happen with the center of mass? Like, what would you tell a player? Like, how how should they think about their center of mass when they're tackling or blocking? Yeah. So yeah. So so that's that's you know probably the most basic instruction that a football player can can internalize, and that is you want your feet planted and spread so that you've got a good base. You're not easily tipped. From side to side, if somebody you know exerts a force to, to the left or right, you want the that you want there to be a line from where your feet have contacted the ground through your center of mass through the point of contact with the player that you're 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 tackling. So you're basically a rigid line of of muscle and bone, and you want to hit the player. Uh, 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 essentially away from their center of mass or somewhat above their center of mass to get them unstable about that center of mass, to cause a rotation about this, the, the center of mass that they have in, in order to you know, basically knock them out of equilibrium so that, so that they don't have a, a, a well, uh, a, a firm basis for, for standing up and evading the tackle. Let, let's move on um, 
I'm conscious of our time. Uh, to 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 a kind of different topic. How how has physics kind of influenced, or an understanding of physics influenced uh, safety and equipment um, and injury prevention? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, um, so what we know is that in the National Football League, players have added about 50% to their weight since 1920, since the pros got started. And they're about 15% faster than they were in 1920. So if you combine those two using the basic physics formula for kinetic energy, which is what largely dictates how many injuries there are going to be, how much energy is dumped into the line of scrimmage on a given play, that number, the kinetic energy uh, on any given play, has essentially doubled since 1920 uh, uh, in the pros, and I'm sure that number has doubled in, in uh, uh, college ball as well. So, so you say, all right, well, if that's true, why aren't there more injuries? Why aren't there more concussions? Uh, and 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 the zeroth order answer is that the equipment has gotten dramatically better. I mean, in 1920, they were wearing leather skull caps. When they went over to polycarbonate plastic shells, they they essentially achieved their main primary goal, which is to eliminate skull fracture. I mean, you know, there were in college there were probably I'm guessing roughly 20 players a year dying in 1920 from skull fractures. Um, the leather helmet just wasn't solving that problem. The polycarbonate shell took care of that. Um, you know, in the olden days, you know, you know, shoulder pads were basically cotton batting that you put on and then pulled a jersey over them. Now they've got very sophisticated energy dissipative structures in shoulder pads. So, so that's a good trend, and that's what's kept injuries as low as they are. Um, the, the problem that I see is that a lot of very effective protective equipment, like large pads, large shoulder pads, uh, horse collars, uh, are going the way of the dinosaur. Players today won't wear them because they restrict motion. Uh, and players today just feel like they can't pay that price uh, of, of being slower um, uh, to avoid injury. So, so uh, what I'm worried about ultimately now is, is the effect as, as the, player, the players are going to continue to get bigger and faster for a while yet. I guess there are probably some biological limits. But, but the bottom line is that, that uh, uh, I, I would prefer to see horse collars, for example, re- required for, for linebackers and, and most, most linemen simply because it has some effect of immobilizing the head uh, about the on in rotations about the neck, which is we know causing some of the concussions that players are having mm-hmm. um, and and I just think I think there there has to be more application of known equipment technologies i don't think i don't think the equipment is going to get a lot better i mean i i don't think for example, I think physics dictates that helmets are just about as good as they can get right now mm-hmm. um uh, there's probably 10% room for improvement, but but I, I don't see I don't see a magical helmet technology coming along that's going to solve this you know solve solve the concussion problem. 
Uh, I think it's got to be more an issue of uh, more restrictive rules. Uh, you know, you, what you'd like to see is maybe college and, and the pros getting serious about eliminating drugs. They have yet to get serious about eliminating drugs in, in the game. Uh, and I think that adds to the, the, the problem of injuries as well. Maybe I'll just maybe I'll I'll ask you one last question. I know sure. you've um, you've kind of um, mentioned that a lot of these things are are intuitive to coaches and players. They see what works. Maybe they don't think about it academically or um, mathematically, but they they kind of sense what works. They know what works. Yes, they know it works. Uh, is there anything that is counterintuitive or, or any kind of physics lesson that you don't feel like has set in yet? Um, the, the short answer is no. Um, there are, uh, I, I learned when, when I was writing the, the book, uh, the physics of football, um, I learned, I learned a lot from coaches who were kind enough to take some time to actually explain how they saw their instructions playing out and why they thought their instructions were good. Uh, I had some really useful conversations with pro coaches, uh, and 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 occasionally there are a few there are a few nuggets in the book which I think are not generally known. Uh, for to give you one example, I learned from one uh, NFL coach that on a punt, uh, if the ball turns over. Uh, it's the it's going to veer to uh, to the left, and if it doesn't turn over, it's going to veer to the right, and that reverses if the punter uses the uh, the other foot. Uh, it turns out that's easy to explain. It's the same physics that explains uh, why a curveball curves, uh, but but many coaches that I've talked to didn't know about that, and so so uh, you know, coaches that are really savvy about the physics of the flight of the ball, teach their receivers, you know, watch, watch for the ball. If it turns over, go to the left. If it doesn't turn over, go to the right. Uh, and, and by the way, reverse that if the guy kicks with his left foot instead of his right foot. Um, so, you know, there are a couple of, of things like that that, you know, I'd never heard of before and, and that yeah. really savvy NFL coaches told me about. Uh, uh, and, and so those are, those are kind of, in there, but most of the stuff is just what my coaches uh, told me. You know, stay low when you tackle, keep your head up. Um, uh, you know, when you throw a spiral, uh, uh, you know, make sure that the ball's spin axis is coincident with its velocity. Uh, all the standard, all the standard stuff, which is ultimately the result of good physics. But you don't need to know the physics to know what to do to make it work. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say before we close out? Uh, well, I, I appreciate appreciate the invitation. Uh, uh, I, I guess I guess what I would say is, um, you know, if you've taken an art history course, or, or if you've taken a uh, uh, a course in in uh, uh, ballet or, or or dance, you appreciate going. Uh, to an art museum, you appreciate going to the ballet ever so much more, having had that education. Uh, and I think football uh, is kind of like that with physics. In other words, I recommend that any true fan of the game 
take a course in uh, in, in basic Newtonian physics. Uh, doesn't have to be real fancy. They could start. He said, shamelessly plugging his book uh, with 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 my book, which is actually a physics textbook in disguise. Uh, it, it's you know I think you appreciate the game when you know some of the basic laws that are governing how it's played and what what the constraints are and what the on what the players can do. So that that's uh, I, I think physics uh, is not a distraction. Physics actually helps you enjoy the game more. Wise advice, I think. Um, well, thank you so much for doing this interview. Um, the weeks after the Super Bowl are, are tough on everyone going through a little bit of withdrawal. Um, so yeah, especially especially the Seahawks. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the different kind of toughness. Um, but but yeah, we need more interviews like this to get us through the off season. So thank you um, so much for being here. Thank you once again for the invitation. It was, it was a lot of fun. Of course. Again, that was Dr. Timothy Gay, professor of physics at the University of Nebraska and author of the book, The Physics of Football. Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. For Charles Lee Franklin and the rest of the Grox crew, I'm Samantha Thomas. Have a great afternoon, and as always, keep on grokking. <laughs>